Alrighty, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're listening from. Creedcast here, uh, David, your host as always, and as always, I say thank you for listening, appreciate it, um, always appreciate the support for this little little hobby, um, side hustle, that uh, it doesn't count as a side hustle if you're not making any money from it, does it? No, and not that that's what I'm expecting, <laughs> I just it was like, I called it a side hustle, I was like, actually no, it's the worst side hustle of all time, if that's what I'm like, intending, but no, I'm just intending to have some fun with our, our wonderful Port Adelaide side, so, and succeeding, so, you know, side hustle in, in, in vibes, which is all I'm here for. Um, yes, uh, we'll be talking about the uh, the result over the weekend, last weekend, Friday night, um, Western Bulldogs win, 10 in a row, 10 on the bounce, and then um, touch on the Geelong game coming up tonight, um, it's wild, like, here in LA, it's like a Wednesday, so you're just not thinking, you know, usually not thinking footy, uh, watching a game. Um, for the next day and a half, but no, Thursday night footy's back, which means um, two two forty or something ridiculous in the morning here in LA. So that'll be fun. Um, but looking forward to that one. But first of all, before we get into that and the what what may happen and all the all the uh, predictions and and stress that comes with playing a big primetime matchup against the uh, reigning premiers, we get to talk about something that we do know that happened, and that was another incredibly. Impressive win against the Western Bulldogs, two and zero against the Doggies in the in the minor round this year now. Um, and as I said, like when I was, you know, talking about this game in in last week's episode, and and uh, and talking about the Dogs, a team that I'm I'm struggling to get a read on because you you just see that they're they're a talented side, um, and they certainly there's certainly a, a bruising game of footy, a testing game of footy against a side that um, has weapons. Um, all over the field, they do. Like, you know, you can say what you want about the consistency of the likes of Waitman and Norton up forward, or, uh, and certainly, you know, their number one pickup there as well. And then, obviously, that talented midfield that runs incredibly deep, you know, a, a midfield that could lose um, Josh Dunkley in the offseason and, and still look as dangerous as any, any unit in the league when they're at their best. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they're, and after last week, last week, I still don't have an exact read on them because. They they've tested in tested us in two games this year, but ultimately I think we've come out um, on top and 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 kind of figured some things out about ourselves and grown in these games as well. So, um, and for the doggies, they've got to look at it and go, geez, we've we've given one of the red hot teams in the competition a good a good running in two games, you know, in two starkly contrasting games as well, you know, wet weather um, wet weather slog fest at Adelaide Oval and in gather round and then under the roof at Marvel. Um, you know, and they they, were, they gave themselves chances in this game, but ultimately Port just had too much, and you know, hard team to get a read on the dogs. But um, you know, another another lesson, another chap, little chapter written in our season so far of um, learning some more about our Port team and learning a lot of positives about them and and how they go about it. And you know, the the the, the legend of Butters continues to grow this season. Connor Rosie again, just um, you know, he's almost, you know, it, it's crazy to say, it, it, and I don't mean this is any disrespect to Rosie, but it's just, you know, it, it's like he's, you know, with all the all the, all the hype machines on, on Butters now, so Rosie's kind of flying under the radar a little bit, which is a weird thing to say, because none of us think he is, and, and plenty of the people around the footy, footy world that have the smarts about the game no he's not but just the media the media drives all about butters now with his you know brown lords short shortened uh, uh bugger also everyone that jumped on him at 80 or 100 to 1 or whatever at the start of the season well done um no you know who knows if he's going to win it but you know it's, it's you know if you chuck 10 bucks on him on, at that money then as someone who did that um for wines back when he was 80 to 1 uh, uh, when he won it, I can say it's a, it's a nice feeling when you get to the end of the year and that 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 money comes in. Um, 
but you know, it's just a, it's a team that's um, you know operating at at, at a, we haven't seen a Port team play quite like this um, under the Ken era. You know, even when we look at the early years when we were playing some good footy and making finals in those first couple of years and the Yes We Can years and um, you know all that stuff. This team's got a little bit of a, something different about it, um, you know, because we, we blew some sides out of the water in those years and then we lost some of that inexplicably, inexplicably. And so far this year, and this is, you know, knock on wood territory, um, you know, there's still a long way to go. We're not counting our chickens too much yet. But, you know, you've, you've got to look at what's happened so far and just and, and, and see that there's a, a different dynamic to the side that we haven't seen. There's a toughness and a steeliness to... And again, I've said this multiple times in the last month or two, um, about how it seems to be a, a like considered response to the the embarrassment of the end of the showdown match, um, and certainly with that coming off the back of a pretty insipid effort against Collingwood as well, it just seems to be a competitive um, steeliness that's um, that the side whether they, you know they they talked about it in that week going into Sydney and and then have just continued to build on it since about just not giving up the contest and and recognizing when the contest is slipping a little bit and being able to readjust and flick the switch and whatever that they they realize they didn't do when that crows match but they realize they have the ability to do it's just it's a mentality thing and a you know a team coming together thing and everyone understanding understanding kind of the 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 modus operandi i guess um in what their what their intention for the season is and knowing that they have a level they can go to and just and recognizing that as a as a collective as a squad and you can just see that in so many of these games that have been close, and this Western Bulldogs game is no difference. It's, um, you know, there was they got themselves out to a decent lead at three quarter time, and then you know the Bulldogs come again, and and uh, and the and the results kind of on the line a little bit, and the Waitman kick to goal um, that you know results in the free kick, and, but we we go down the other end and take out we take our opportunity to put the game away and I think we got up by 26 points I think late in the game and, and you know there's goal and some points here and there but the result was more or less done and dusted after we we kind of took the took that um those chances and that's just what I that's kind of what I mean we we recognize the moments and seize on them a little bit and you know that you know other teams are coming at us and it's not always going to be this way but there is just as long as you're doing all these things and all these steps most of the way, you're going to give yourself a chance a chance to win, and 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 that's just that's where it, you don't get a ten game winning streak out of luck. Um, you know, there can be some elements of a lucky bounce here and there and all that stuff, but you you get to a ten game streak um, by having set systems in place and and attitudes and belief and all that kind of and all those you know, cliches that you talk about with footy. But the reason they're cliches is because it's true, and this team's kind of showing that. Um, just flicking back, uh, I know I've kind of gone on a somewhat philosophical rant at the start here but just going back to that Waitman free kick and just starting to talk about the game a little bit more um, or the free kick against the Waitman um, kick um, I there was so much controversy about it and I, and I don't exactly understand where it's come from because I mean I get that it's not paid often but that's not a that's not a re- reason to mean that that shouldn't be paid in that instance and when I looked at it um it was just so obvious. Like the umpire's got to make a call there, you know, because he's he's no eyes on the ball. The ball is in play. I think that has the ump stuff. The Twitter account has the ump stuffed up. Um, if you're on Twitter, you and in the footy Twitter world, you've certainly seen it. And he said, no, the ball was, you know, the ball's got to be in play. And someone screen grabbed it. it. Was like literally, here's the ball, like you know, a foot before the line and dropping 
um, dropping in the way that kind of the you know the ball dropped when the Lear was able to spoil it in Sydney. You know the ball's dropping to be potentially you know unless you have like a sliding doors moment where you can go back and and let Ollie not get hit, then who knows? But the fact is, it was in a position where it could have been possibly made a play at. But um, I'm forgetting the Western Bulldogs player's name that bumped Ollie in the back, but. Um, he has no eyes on the ball, and he lays the lays the shoulder into Ollie's back in such an obvious fashion that the, the there's just it's one of those ones that if the call wasn't made, it would look a little bit um, like the umpires have put the whistle away. So the umpires have given a decision to make. If you're going to block a shepherd on the line, you've got to do it in a way that you know this is. I've talked about the dark art stuff that some teams, the successful teams, do sometimes is they work out how to play in the line without. You know, and and playing the kind of the odds game that you know seventy five, eighty percent of the time, we'll just do it right the right way enough that the umpire won't have it that call to make, and occasionally you'll stuff one up. But, um, but that was one of those decisions that was just so obvious that the umpire had a call to make, and uh, unfortunately in a close game, if you do something like that on the goal line and give the umpire a, a choice to make, then this goes against you. And so it was interesting that people were like, "Oh, it's never called." I think even one of the commentators said, "Oh." I, I, it's there, but it just never gets cold. And it's like, well, what are you? What are we talking about here then? You, you're literally admitting it's there. Um, just because it's not called that often doesn't mean it's not there to be called. Like goal line situations are just so chaotic at times that sometimes the call is just not obvious enough to make. So it's kind of, I guess, let go. Maybe has contact both ways. Blah 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 blah. So the umpires are kind of looking and go, well, that's that was sixty forty. Let's just not call it because you know there was a little bit both ways. Players are ju- grabbing at each other's jumpers. Players are grabbing at each other and pulling each other down. Those ones are hard to call, so they don't. But this one was just so obvious because Ollie was the one that was clearly eyes on the ball, going for the ball, and then the Western Bulldogs player, no eyes on the ball, eyes on Ollie, puts the shoulder into the back. It's just an obvious call to me. Now. It could be biased, and maybe sure. Uh, Surely, if it went the other way, and I was watching live at the time, I'd be like, you know, you know, tilt into glasses and be like, oh, it's never called. So why is it called now? But you know, I would have looked back and been like, you know, it was it was there. Like you can't. It was there, you know. So um, it was an interesting one to see such a controversy, controversy kind of blow up on Twitter and people arguing um, until the cows come home about it. When it just seemed like one that was just like oh, it was there. So. You know, whether or not it's called often doesn't preclude it from being called in this instance when it's made so obvious. Um, and the other thing was, it's a close game of footy and one goal, and but they were still, even if that goal had been called through and good and all that stuff, they'd still, there's still two kicks, they were two, still two straight kicks away from gaining the lead. Now, I think it was five or six minutes to go, clearly enough time. But we're not talking about a goal, a game-changing decision, like one of those binary game-changing decisions that people talk, you know, when there's controversy in the game, when it's within a kick and someone gets called for an arm chop, a controversial arm chop, when they could have taken a mark to kick the goal that wins them the game. Those kind of calls. Um, and, you know, again, if it's there, it's there. So, you know, sometimes the way, in fact, people argue them is just a little bit interesting anyway. Um, but, you know, it was... The center bounce clearance, Port go down and kick a goal, they go back to 14 points again. Like, it just wasn't, it got kind of made out to be a little bit of a, like, a, a just a crucial game changing call and all that stuff. And it's just, it, it was, it was there and it was just going to bring it back to eight points. It wasn't, you know, it's again, it's, it's this close game and like they could have kicked two goals in a minute after that and gotten ahead. Who knows? Like, we've seen Port have some pretty storming comebacks at times this year and the Sydney game was one of them. 
kick three goals in three minutes, I think. So it's it's possible, but we're not talking about a goal that was going to give him the lead or anything like that. And yeah, it's just it's just the narrative that sometimes forms on Twitter and the media about certain things. Um, and it seems to have gone away pretty quickly, which I think is just people in the aftermath of a few days after have gone, oh, you know, it was there. So um, it was just interesting in the, in the immediate 12, 24 hours afterwards, just people talking about it a lot. And, and then, you know, you kind of just, it peters out and you realize it was there. So an interesting little bit of controversy that wasn't controversy really that came out of the game. And ultimately, Port deserved to win the game. An incredible individual performance from um, Zach Butters again in this one. Um, he gets 10 coaches' votes. I think that's five perfect games this year for him now. And he's again ahead on the leaderboard. Um, I haven't actually seen where it got updated to because I know Collingwood and Melbourne played late. And I just completely forgot to check where Nick, Nick, Nick Dacos ended up. But I think it didn't think he had a great game. So, um, you know, Butters is ahead on the coaches' votes leaderboard. And, and certainly there's some of the Brownlow predicted boards are starting to go, look, he could be... He could be right up there with Dacos, if not ahead. Um, I think one person was just like, he could be three votes ahead now on a Brownlow predictor board. Now, those things are all kind of uh, a little bit shaky. I remember back in 2014, Robbie Gray had that incredible year that he had where he won the Coaches Association vote. But like people started talking about Robbie Gray for the Brownlow towards the end of 2014. And then when you watch the Brownlow, you realize he only started getting votes right around the time they started talking about it. I think he ended up with, he could have ended up with 9, 12. He didn't end up with the votes that we were even getting close to the total leaderboard. And you realize the way the coaches' votes and, and, and Brownlow votes come together can be quite different. Because I just think, you know, it's, it's umpires that are voting on it. And while it's a historical and traditional system, it's sometimes the umpires just don't know. There's certain players that just, sometimes don't get noticed by the umpires as much. And you saw Robbie Gray just never really had a vote total that ever got close to it, um, despite having some great, like, we noticed it, just he didn't. Now, I will say, Zach Butters, the way he plays the game, is very Gary Ablett, freakish ability kind of stuff when he does those little runs, fend-offs, you know, shirks the shoulders a little bit and just and just moves his body in a way that... That makes makes you know tacklers miss, and he does these little bouncing runs. He's had a lot of. I we looked at that. I'd be interested, and in, you know, it could be just my eyes. Our, our total bounces of the year. I'd love to see how many of them are Zach Butters. Like what percentage of our bounces as a team for the year are just Zach Butters? Because he seems to always, especially when he's having one of these games this year, he, he takes off and has a run where he has two, one or two bounces, um, a couple of times a game sometimes, um, and he certainly had one. And this, you know, that that real game breaking, um, that beautiful, beautiful. And that's the player that I don't. I don't do this every week because I sometimes just forget. Um, but the player of the day uh, that the Port Twitter account posted was clearly the player of the day because it's just so much about what we love about this team. Um, starting with you know we're talking about Marcus Bonapelli, Bonapelli here, and and Willem Drew, the unsung hero of our side, um, comes in and just smothers the ball, and it comes out to Butters, and Butters takes off on one of those little runs. But he, I love that he has this sense of mind that just don't he doesn't always put the head down. And run because he kind of recognizes whether the the Western Bulldogs kind of are trying to kind of corral him in that kind of halfback flank as he's running into the center center square, and he, and he he takes a bounce and he slows up his slows up his pace a little bit and just waits for the game to come to him. It's just incredible footy smarts, and he kind of just lets lets the Bulldogs um, defend you know defenders in the midfield take the bait a little bit and waits and then it's Willem Drew who's just smothered the ball and he's gotten back up and he's made a, he's made a run through the middle. And as and you know, he he take he, he take gets the handball receive, and suddenly we've cut through them. 
we've we've broken that line and it's it's you know it's a halfback flank smother and 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 you know the western border was kind of you know they've pushed up because they're trying to push up to win the game but there's still a line to break there and and just with butters is smart he takes that little he takes that little second bounce as well again the bounces um takes a second bounce right before they like, just you know he's recognizing that maybe you know because you can just run that little bit too far if you really and and but he, he takes that bounce as he's slowing his pace which as someone who's always struggled to bounce the footy when i was playing footy um you know sometimes the pace when you're trying to change pace and bounces is, is it can be difficult um but that's my experience i'm obviously not zach butters um so you know, maybe just incredibly easy for him. He plays the ball. He's playing the game like he's got the ball on a string at the moment. So that's just that's just the way it is. Um, and he gets a handball off to Drew. He's just he's already he's already got a head of, head of steam up, and he just breaks the line and gets a, that kick inside forward, forward fifty. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's uh, Junior Rioli who's um, battling away with. And uh, you know, I know some people on Twitter were saying, oh, it was holding there. Again, that was one of those ones, and I talk about it. I reckon it was sixty forty Willie um, Junior holding so there was a possibly a free kick there and i'll admit that um but it was holding both ways and this is the thing i was talking about earlier and wraps it up nicely here you give the umpires a, a clear call to make they'll make it if it's if it's a little bit 60 40 50 50 whatever you know 60 64 36 whatever it's it's harder for them to make a call and sometimes when it's just the contest of the, and where they are um if it's not obvious they won't make the call so um without having gone back and looked at it Again, I have looked. I've watched that goal a lot, but I keep just, you know, my eyes just to get attracted to Jason Horn Francis and that clean pickup and forget about thinking too much about that that the um, Rioli stuff. But anyway, the ball comes in. He makes a contest, um, which is what you ask. You, you know, you small forwards, you big forwards, whatever to do if they can't get a clear run on the ball or anything, just at least make a contest and get the ball to ground. And as we've seen this year twice now with Jason Horn Francis on Friday nights against big big sides from Melbourne. Um, or in Melbourne, um, he's got some of the cleanest hands in the comp when he when he can get a run on the ball and it's uh, on the ground. He's uh, that clean pickup, and I think he's been nominated as one of the goal of the year nominations for this week for the, that goal. And well, you, you could say the finish was relatively um, simple in the end because he straightens up and kicks. It's everything that goes into the goal. You know, it's kind of like I think Sam Draper won it last year um, for taking it out of the middle and, and uh, doing a little one-two and do-si-do and, and kicking it. So it, it's, it's sometimes the, you know, sometimes it doesn't always have to be the snap from the boundary goal. It's it's the, it's recognizing that there's craft in, in what he does in the pickup and the turning around and put the jets on and, and then being able to straighten up and kick it in that fashion. So just, a, and that kind of sums up kind of a lot of the guys that are really making an impact on this side, you know, um, you know, Willem Drew, you know, the smother and then the handball received through the middle, you know, he, he, we, we talk about Willem Drew's pressure and defensive stuff so much that we sometimes forget he's, you know, he does some good stuff with the hand and foot as well in these instances where he gets a chance to play like a, a line-breaking midfielder as well, you know, so he's, he's a multi-talented little multi-tool, our, our, our red-headed um, <laughs> number 28, uh, so uh, just love his game, um, but there's there's just so much to love about that play and obviously the Horn Francis finish um, and then you know Pal Pepper has his late goals as well, but yeah Butters just that was just one of the quintessential Butters moments in, in the game. Great to see Charlie Dixon back in the side as well. 
um, obviously, um, just what he means to that full line structure and just his leadership up there, the kind of veteran nous. Um, and his goal kicking this year has actually been pretty damn good. Um, I think he had seven kicks for the game. He kicked four goals in this one. So he didn't have a high, high percentage of, you know, possession game, but just um, was crucial early on, especially, you know, he didn't, you know, when the game tightened up a bit, he didn't get as much, but he kind of led the way forward and, and you know, certainly four goals in the game. That's uh, exactly what you want out of your big key forward like Dixon, especially coming in off a, off a little bit of time off with the injury. Um, he came in and looked um, pretty pretty damn good and and moving freely and kicking a couple of goals. You know the roving snap goals and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't just set shots like you know traditionally is what we're trying to set him up for. But you know the fact he could pick up and gather or t- you know get off the handball receive off Power Pepper in that, for that first goal, which you know that first goal just shows kind of some of the the, the talent that we've got up forward now. Um, the unsung guys as well. Like um, I think it's Rosie that snaps it out of the midfield in that uh, off that first centre bounce contest, and um, it comes to Jed McEntee, who's just you know playing with the confidence now that he feels like he believe, belongs in the side, which is great. Um, and he's just again one of those those many many of those players that are playing a, a, a quietly really really impressive role, and and McEntee certainly you know really a part of the side now. Um, and he gets that quick handball off to Darcy Burner Jones, another guy that just um, has reinvented, reinvented his career a little bit this year. Um, and he gets to kick in in forward. You know, it's a bit of a contest. Pal Pepper gathers. You know, he's he's playing that that forward role really well, and gets a handball out to Dixon, who's got a little of that just that little bit of space to be able to snap it in on goal and and start the game with a positive mindset. And uh, and you know, kicks another three goals for the game, and and just really you know, kind of he, t- he he opens up that forward line a bit. Um, and when you've got guys like, um, and then just you get more of the midfield goals again, like Jason Orn Francis didn't have a high disposal game, but obviously I've just talked about his goal of the year nomination goal. Um, you know, he's kicked two goals for the game, and when you've got your midfielders kicking goals as well, um, and guys just popping up, these guys popping up with goals. You know, Horn Francis I think has got eight goals for the year now in thirteen games. Um, he only kicked four for the year all of last year with the um, in his seventeen games for North Melbourne. So, you know, we're just finding ways to make him... Because, you know, he's 19. Like I've said, he's not going to be the high... You know, when we look at where Rosie and Butters were at 19, they weren't consistently getting the high... They, they had their big games, but they're still in their craft and, and obviously, you know, building up the gas, the, the tank, and, and learning how to play the game at the level that these guys will. Same with Ollie Wines and Travis Boak. They all weren't, they weren't like, having these high disposal games at, consistently at this age. Um, but he's... Pop, we're, you know his his craft and the you know, and ability to pick up and all that stuff in the forward line is really really helpful as well and he's you know he's popped up with two goals so he's finding ways to make himself useful and I think he's eight goals five for the year um, so you know pretty good conversion rate for a you know small amount of shots I think it was four goals six for last year at at North so you know just he we're finding ways to make him impactful whether it's on the ball or, or if he's just um spending a bit more time up forward and and you know with Rosie and Butters and 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 Ollie Wines coming into a lot more form as well uh, I think Ollie Wines is really putting his hand up to be uh, named the next captain because you know we'll get into the selections and stuff for the Geelong game shortly but um yeah Tom Jonas unless he finds that form again and fitness or whatever it's just you know his time as as captain I think regardless um is up uh, you know, a good run, but uh, you know, through those years that we were, um, you know, almost getting to the grand final in twenty twenty and twenty one, um, but you know, Ollie Wines sticking his hand up and and consider and and he's found his form. Um, you know, I know we've talked about it a few times, but 
the interrupted preseason and all that and the slow start to the year, but you know he's building into form nicely and uh, and really had an impact in that second half when we needed needed some guys to stand up beyond Butters. So really impressed with his game. Um, again, he's playing a different role than he was a couple of years ago um, when he was winning the Brownlow. But you know, with Butters and Rosie really taking over the mantle of like those line breaking, complimentary guys. Um, Ollie Wines and Boca just being able to settle into this this you know role of running with them nicely and and with having guys as talented as Boca and Wines being able to do that, it's um, just incredibly handy. Um, all right, we'll have a quick look at just the overall stats of the game because there's just a couple of things that are quite interesting that I've been noticing with um, Port. Actually, before I get into the the overall team stats, just a shout out to uh, Scott Lysett, which this is one of the. But we, I mean, we had fifty hitouts for the game, I believe, um, to twenty seven. I think is what it was. Uh, yeah, fifty to twenty seven. So for Lysett, and and you know, there was all the talk of um, Twitter in the post game was like realizing that maybe he was just carrying. He really was not at his, you know, carrying an injury. I think it was back, possibly. possibly. Um, earlier in the season, because he just looks a different player since his stint in the Sandful, and um, is actually looking like he could be a key key part of the side again, um, which is I'm really happy to see. I like I like Scooter a lot, and was really sad to see him struggling so much at the start of the season. So, um, but to be able to win the convincingly win the um, the hit out and physical battle against one of the best ruckmen in the league in English. Um, was really, really, really good to see and bodes well going forward as long as, you know, obviously, again, knock on wood, um, keeping him fit and all that stuff. But, um, you know, really impressed with Scooter and, and just really pleased and happy as a fan um, of of these blokes um, to see him come in and, and, and be playing such good footy again. Um, but now, all right, now we can have... I'm just going to take a quick water break and um, we'll have a quick look at the, just the overall stats, just a point, just have a look at a couple of things. All right, so one of the thing, interesting things I've been finding this year is often um, in these games that we're winning quite well, we're actually, like, our, our disposals for the game are often below, sometimes only marginally, but often we're not needing as much of the ball um, to make an impact. And, you know, I guess that's the sign of a good side is, like, if you can move the ball quicker with less touches, um, you're often ending up in 50 a lot more and, 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 and with good opportunities to score. Our average disposals for the year is just a tick under 340, whereas the Bulldogs are at 374. And for this game, the Bulldogs had 381 disposals to 311. So they had 70 more possessions than us. Um, if we quickly, briefly go back to the player stats, um, they had Jack McRae with 26 disposals. Bottom Pillar, they had 31. Trelaw had 34. Caleb Daniel had 29. Tom Lipitore had 33. And uh, we had um, Bailey Smith at 28 as well. And, and Bailey Williams had um, 23. And Bailey Dale had 30 as well. Whereas we only had, uh, I think it was just um, Butters with 31. <laughs> and then the next best was, you know, you know, Boke at 26, Wines at 18, um, Lockie Jones at 19. By the way, great game from Lockie Jones. Really sad to see him get injured. Um, uh, fract- pr- pr- played the game out with a fractured jaw, which um, if there was any player I'd not surprised to see do that is Lockie Jones because he's a fucking beast. Um, but yeah, quick recovery, Lockie, because I think he's finally starting to kind of find his role and again like many players um, I've talked about over the years get the confidence that they belong at the level and and have a defined role um, but anyway back to the stats you know you just read through all those Bulldogs players great Bulldogs players that had a lot of the ball Liberatore had one of the better games I've ever seen him personally play I obviously I know he's a great player and had plenty of good games I don't watch the Bulldogs all that often unless they're playing 
port or they're playing a game I'm particularly interested in. So uh, just for me, I saw him, I was just really impressed with his game on the night. So there's a lot of pl- the great Bulldogs players that had plenty of the ball, but they just, it's it's your ability to, I've talked about this before with stats and disposals and stuff like that. It's it's the effective disposal stuff. And you just saw that, you know, with our team as a whole only having, you know, having 70 less disposals for the for the match than the Bulldogs did. But when then you look back at um, the stats for inside 50, um, pretty close for the game, actually, 54. But we, we won them. We still won it um, slightly, but 54 to 51. Um, their disposal efficiency for the game was surprisingly was 75 compared to our 71, but efficiency inside 50, um, we were at just a tick under 52 with 51.9. Their inside 50 efficiency is 43.1, which actually um, is interesting, and it kind of bodes, it kind of tells the story of their year, and I guess, you know, I was talking about, I can't get a read on the dogs. Their disposal inside fi- efficiency inside 50 for the year, apologies for that word, Salad, um, was 50, uh, 45.6 uh, for the year and we're at 51.7. So we're operating kind of right at where, we, where we've been for the year. And, and it kind of just, it's just one of those interesting ones I, I saw when I was looking at the stats for the game. I just thought, and I've noticed this a little bit with Port Games when we've been playing and our best footy is often we're losing some of these, losing, uh, I do in quotations, because the stat categories are great to look at, but they don't only tell half the story. You got to put it into the context of the game. So if we're losing the disposal battle, and you know earlier in the year when we were really getting smashed in contested positions as well, um, it told a story because it you know we're losing a game by you know seventy points to the to the the Maggies, and then um and then the thirty you know five goal loss in the showdown, and we're getting smashed in contested possessions. It's like okay, we're not hard enough, and then this is what's bearing it out. But um. Since then, we've tightened up contested possession. Often, we we can be losing contested possession slightly, but not not by any great margin. This game was actually one thirty three apiece. So the contested ball, we were right there with them. It was uncontested possessions. They won by seventy, you know, seventy odd. So that does tells a lot. And then turnovers, we were plus eleven on turnovers for the game. So the Bulldogs, with all their possessions, had turned it over 11, 11 more times than we did. So. There's all these little things that just tell you kind of how the game is being won, and with Port, we've just discovered a way, and that that play from and that play of the day that I was talking about was just a perfect example of that. Is the way we've worked out how to break the lines and the and the comp and having a midfield unit has players that complement each other, like the Olin Wines that get in and under and get the hand dish out the handballs, or Willem Drews that put the pressure on and get the smothers, and then your guys like Butters and Rosie that are clean and 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 can break tackles and break lines and and just do things that i can't be taught that you know they're they're skillful players that understand how to utilize their bodies in in ways that just that you know you can't teach this stuff this you know the butters little shakes and and drops of the shoulders and and same with rosie and the way he twists his body you can't teach that stuff it's just it's innate skill that they have and all these things are kind of like we're finally got a midfield unit. And it was funny that the storyline last year was like how what's going to happen with the midfield unit. And I think even though I said at the start of the year, we're going to learn some stuff by the growth of some of these players and, and we'll find out whether or not these guys are the midfield of the future. And and we're finding out this year that they are. <laughs> and, and Horn Francis certainly um, having a good year at, at 19 and just and learning his craft without having to be, you know, the recruit that you immediately want to be the, the lead guy. He's getting to grow with this squad. So it's just all working fantastically well, and I'm, I'm stoked about it. Um, one of the consistent um, stats that I've really enjoyed as well is tackles inside 50 again. 
We were 14 to 9 in this one. So at, we're, our forward 50 pressure is really good. Tackles for the game in total, we won as well, 64 to 61. But it's, it's tackles inside 50. We're often um, leading this uh, since the couple of losses at the start of the year. A defining factor of our 10 game winning streak has been the pressure inside 50, um, trying to lock the ball in there and, and keep the ball in our, in our, in our attacking half of the ground. Um, and it's kind of where our defensive, our defense is built off of, you know, you know, the best form of defense is attack. Sometimes they say, um, not strictly true. You know, there's, there's reasons uh, depending on the sport you're watching, I guess as well, but our forward 50 pressure is allowing us to keep the ball, you know, and, and just not allow as many attacking endeavors from the opposition when it's working at its best. So not a whole lot there to look at. A lot of it's, um, pretty, um, standard otherwise, but, uh, just a couple of interesting ones that I thought I'd point out, um, particularly when we look at you know disposals often being on the on the negative side of that stat, but you know ultimately you look at all the important parts and and we're winning in those those areas. It was funny to see that we finally win a hit out battle and we and and then in this game we lose the clearance battle pretty handily. But again, like I said, they've got one of the best midfield deepest midfield um, units of the, in the league and. And so they're going to get plenty of hands on the ball and plenty of guys that can throw it, mix mix and match out of the out of the stoppage, and and they're going to get hands on the ball like that. But the important thing is we utilised it better. And again, like I said, that those stats tell the story, and the, and the, the the result of the game uh, bears that out quite uh, quite convincingly as well. All right, so now a brief look at uh, tonight's game, um, Geelong at Adelaide Oval, which is an interesting proposition. They've been quite interesting this year you know they lost three on the bounce and they won three in a row and everyone's like oh they're back and then they've kind of been up and down since they've had a lot of injuries though um it must be said um you know it's kind of like last year with us we you know a lot of you know we just couldn't couldn't get a consistent side in the field and and already with playing pretty terrible footy at the start of the year it just it just kind of compounded so when you start slow and then have a few injuries it can be really hard to find a consistent brand of footy but um with that being said, Geelong have, um, you know, a lot of those players coming back this week. Uh, Patrick Dangerfield's back, Mitch Duncan is back, and Max Holmes is back. You know, Mitch, you know, Danger's obviously a big, big in, uh, and Mitch Duncan, um, one of their, one of their real, real consistent blokes there that, um, you know, sometimes didn't get, didn't get quite the same, you know, headlines as the likes of Danger and Selwood in the past, you know, Ablett or whatever, but, you know, Duncan's a, a fantastic player, so he's a big in as well. Um, interestingly, they've got Zach Tui as managed, um, so he's out alongside uh, Oisen Mullen, um, the uh, what is he, the Irish Nick Dacos or something like that. I can't remember what they were saying last week, but um, he got injured in his debut, I guess. Um, he's listed as injured anyway, and a couple of a couple of bokes omitted. But you know, obviously a stronger side than what they've been in the last few weeks. And when you look at the Geelong side, um, you, you got to look at them and say this is this is a very good side. And you know, interestingly, I was looking at some. Just, I was trying to think, when was the last time we beat them in the minor round? Because I know I've had a couple of finals win, wins against them in the past couple of years, but I had to look back, and I couldn't. the last time I could find that we had a win against them um, in the minor round was uh, back in 2019, um, which I'm pretty sure I was at that game. I was. Yeah, I remember standing on the hill with a couple of Geelong mates, actually. <laughs> um, so uh, and that was one of those games that we weren't... Ex- I don't think I expected us to win, but it was... You know, because 2019 wasn't a great year, but we we managed to get a win. I think Geelong might have had a few players out of that game as well. But yeah, that was the last time we had a minor round win against Geelong. Um, since then, I think we lost once in 2020, um, pretty handily, and then won the final, obviously, 
2021, again, we lost uh, in the minor round, won, uh, won when it counted. Um, and last year we had uh, we lost down down in Geelong, um, and then uh, lost one in in uh, Adelaide Oval last year, where we had an incredible one of the most incredible quarters of footy I've ever seen Port play. But ultimately, it wasn't enough. That third quarter, when we kicked eight or nine goals to one, uh, and roared back into the game to take I think a ten or twelve point lead in that three quarter time, but just couldn't hold on at the end. Um, was kind of our story of our year last year, unfortunately. Um, and key in that game was the fact that Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron just were. I think they fucking had 10 or 11 goals between them. And I'm pretty sure Gary Rowan had a couple as well. Like, they just, they, they kind of worked, um, our back line just couldn't handle it. And that's, that'd be one of my key things to look at in this game. Our back line is undersized. And certainly, um, against a forward line like this is going to be probably the greatest test of the year so far. Or, um, in any game really, because you, I, there's no other team that has probably the caliber of forwards in, in Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron. Um, two guys that, um, are all state, all Australian stature, um, you know, premiership winning and, and, and obviously just, and just towering forwards and really crafty forwards as well. They can kick him from along a, a different range of, you know, areas on the field. You know, Jeremy Cameron's quite, you know, quite nifty in, with his feet. Um, and then you throw Gary Rowan in there and, and, and then obviously it's Tyson Stengel, who was an all Australian small forward last year. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very potent forward line and, and they took it to us last year and unfortunately were just too much for us last year. Um, this year we're playing a lot better footy, but um, still defensively, it's probably the one question mark over our side and it's going to continue for the rest of the year. Um, it's just how we handle that kind of forward. And, you know, I you could have been tempted. Um, I know Selections um, has borne out that really we've only made the one force change and Lockie Jones obviously being out with that fractured draw I mentioned. Um, Ryan Burton's coming in for him. So that's the only change for us. Um, I'll, I'll get to talking about us in a bit. Um, but, you know, oh, it's probably just organically come as I talk about Geelong. But, you know, you could have been tempted maybe to bring Jonas back in for this one and try to... But I think probably the best course of action being on a 10-game winning streak is don't change... To, like, I know we've been doing quite well in um, in playing the matchups a little bit. But I think, you know... Our defensive structure is is built off a lot of um, what we do in the middle and, and up forward as well. You know, if we're not winning the midfield battle um, and and winning the battle through the middle and, and allowing the ball to come into the into the uh, Geelong forward line um, as they wish, then throwing another a tall tall in there isn't going to do anything. So I just you know I think it's, it's best to err on the side of um, what's working for us is the way the way we structure through the the entirety of the field. Rather than um, any particular, you know, matchup that we have that we can, can come out of the sample because I just don't think we have that um, unfortunately at the moment. So um, yeah, it's going to be a big test for the likes of McKenzie and Alia back there, and the smallers to you know at least you know body, body put some body contact on, and and it's going to be the structure and, and not allowing the ball to come in easily because that's what really destroyed us at times last year. Was when we, we we were kind of pushing, and then the ball would come out, and they'd get it. They they just move through that, and then it would be like a two one on ones in the in an open forward fifty, and and when you got like a likes of like maybe Gary Ryan and Jeremy Cameron down there in one on ones against you know some undersized, or even you know when it, even when Ali is in a one on one, he battles pretty well, and he's he's quite handy with the one on one. But some you kind of taken away his his greatest ability and in, in his ability to cut the lines and stuff like that when you put him in those situations, and and if it comes in repeatedly like that, someone like Jeremy Cameron um, is going to win that battle more often than not. So we've just got to not allow. It's going to be the contest in the middle and and our ability to um, 
stop the run um, that's going to dictate how that uh, defensive battle goes rather than um, the key matchups down there and the one-on-ones and all that stuff. So, um, obviously, they've got a pretty good defense as well. So, you know, you know, Tom Stewart's been back in there. and um, But with how we've been moving the ball through the middle as well, um, it would be, it'll be this is going to be a great test for us against, the, you know, the reigning premiers and all that stuff um, to see how we, how our forward, forwards match up and you know like Dixon's in good form immediately after coming back from injury uh, obviously Todd Marshall's been looking pretty good since coming back from the concussions and all that stuff as well um, so there's a good test at both ends of the field really um, and I'm, I'm really intrigued by the midfield battle as well you know it's um, you know the likes of Rosie and Butters coming up against um, these guys that are coming back in there as well um, and you know Scooter, I mentioned how good he was uh, against, you know, and the Geelong games last year were, um, sorry, my cat's being a dickhead in the background here. I'm just, that's what that bang was. I was trying to scare scare her straight. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, the, the um, having come back into some pretty good form, um, this is kind of one of those games that, you know, because I remember last year down down in Geelong, we, we, we were throwing... Um, you know, Sam Powell Pepper played a bit in the ruck, and there was a few different things we threw at it. So, you know, this one will be one of those ones that, you know, there's a lot of guys in form for our side at the moment, and it's a real test to see how that form holds up against the kind of reigning premier caliber team that's got some good players coming back in. It'll be interesting to see what's kind of touched the likes of Dangerfield and Mitch Duncan are in as well, um, considering they're you know, coming back in. But, you know, we could have said the same thing about Dixon last last week, but he looked pretty good. So, um, yeah, what else is there? Um, I know some people were calling for Quintanarkle to come come into the side because and yeah, props to the our uh, our Sandville side and the Magpies. They've been playing some good footy. They're just sitting outside the top five at the moment with um, four wins, four wins on the season and playing some and, and playing some impressive footy. Um, the uh, Rossio Fantasia had four goals last week, which is a good sign. Um, obviously, I know we all know he's talented. It's just his ability to actually say fit is the the thing that we honestly no one knows if it's going to happen, but uh, four goals, you know, when you've got a guy like Orazio Fantasia, if he can have a run of games where he's kicking goals like that, um, you know, geez, that's a handy player to have um, in the sidelines. Um, obviously, I know I said, I've already said it, it's the, it's the fit, we've never doubted his talent, it's the fitness, um, unfortunately. Um, but Narkel had 33 touches last week, and um, and so it's 62 touches across his first two games. For the Magpies, so I know a lot of people were clamouring for him to come in, especially since it's you know the the romanticism of playing against his old side, only two weeks after he's been drafted in the mid-season draft. I would, I wonder if they're going to give him the sub job. Uh, I think Bonner and uh, sorry, I think Bonner, Jonas, and um, I can't think of who the blanking on. I've got to bring the bring the page back up. Ah, oh, Burgoyne as well. Uh, the, the the four emergencies, so the sub's going to come from one of them. Be interesting to see. I'd like to see Quinton get re- um, rewarded for that uh, for those performances, um, but we'll see if that actually does happen. Um, you know, and you know, maybe he does. Just you know, we don't want to be putting him in too quickly either. So I don't want to be uh, making those kind of decisions um, too too rashly. I guess with him just coming, you know, he's been playing good so far since he's come in, but we just got to be. Don't make emotional decisions. We've been doing very well with our selections and all that so far. So, um, particularly along this ten ten game winning streak. So, um, just uh, you know, err on the side of um, you know not making decisions based on <laughs> what people on Twitter are saying or whatever. But I'd be I'd be happy to see him as a sub. Uh, I don't think he. You know, I think 
the one that you could have brought out, maybe Josh Sin, but I don't think Josh Sin's been terrible either, so, you know, reward. And it's good to see him get a run as well. Um, and he kind of compliments the side a little bit as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it would have been tough to drop someone for, for Narkel. Um, like I said, Sin's probably the one that most people would have picked, but I don't think he, you know, warranted being completely dropped either. Um, and, you know, Narkel's been playing in the Sandful. You know, he hasn't been playing at the AFL level. So you've got to take that into account as well. But I think if he keeps his run of form going, he'll get he'll get his reward at some point, particularly to you got to play a long game in the AFL and, and there'll be injuries or, or issues or, you know, managed players as well. Um, so his time will come. And um, But he's certainly been impressing and, and certainly the the our, the the Sandful boys being in um, some good promising form um, bodes well. Because, you, know, you, I, I, you know, last year we were terrible at that level and, and it, you can kind of feel that, you know, that we were terrible at the AFL level for large parts as well. So... With us playing good footy at the at the um, Sandful level um, and playing incredible footy at the AFL level, it all bodes well for um, you know selection selection headaches are good headaches to have. Um, anyway, that's about it. I think I've rambled on long enough, kept you long enough, um, bored you for long enough. Uh, it's almost forty five minutes here, so um, for my expectations for the game, just to close it out, I guess I think it'll be a close one. I think with their their ends, um, even if they're not running in red hot form. Um, there's enough talent there to make it tough, and I certainly am worried about that that defensive matchup. But it's all going to be predicated on how well we play through the middle, which I have confidence in that. Um, at the same time, so an intriguing matchup that it is, and I, I put us down for maybe. Oh, I'd love to see just a nice solid three goal win. You know, it's going to be a tight one. I don't expect it to smash him out of the park or anything like that. Though I'd be stoked with it. Um, but I think a nice solid three goal win would be. More than okay um, to continue the winning one and go into the break with um, our bye is coming up. Uh, to go into the bye with an 11-game winning streak um, and, you know, sitting pretty in the top four there would be fucking fantastic. So, car on the pair. Let's uh, go into the bye on a good night.